I'm going to say a name of a mid-90s Christian band, and you raise my hand if you heard of it. Okay, Jake, I'm going to give a name. Jacob, I'm going to give a name of a band, and you raise your hand if you heard it, okay? You ready? Jacob, you ready? I'm talking to you, man. You raise your hand if you, okay, yeah, okay, just raise it. Keep it right there. Raise your hand with Jacob. You look so much like your dad. Raise your hand with Jacob if you've ever heard the band DC Talk. Ah, yeah, so here's what DC Talk taught me, right? DC Talk taught me that love... Yeah, not just, not just love is a verb, not just L-O-V-E is a verb. DC Talk taught me that love, L-U-V, is a verb. Yeah, DC Talk is cool, too cool to spell the name traditionally. Love, L-U-V, is a verb. Yeah, any DC Talk fans? Here's what DC Talk also taught me about mid-90s. Christianity. Uh, they also taught me that uh, fashion is uh, completely negotiable. That is, <laughs> that fashion is secondary to content. The fashion doesn't really matter. Do we have a Do we have a picture of? Oh yeah, there you go. Now I don't know if that's like your form. If the, <laughs> hey, I'm just saying I was alive then. I I I I. I uh, what's that? What am I trying to say? Yeah, I had the tape too, and the CD, and I tried to rock the uh, shirtless, sleeveless vest. <laughs> All I'm saying is fashion didn't seem to really matter, but they knew that love, spelled L-U-V, is a verb, okay? Yeah, there you go, there you go. So, uh, but here, here why, why DC Talk? Why DC Talk on a morning like this morning? Uh, because there, and I had a, I had a video all ready to go, and I couldn't get it loaded right. But it's the mu- it's the music video of Love Is a Verb, which will also uh, kick you back if you were alive in the '90s. That will take you right back to 1994. Um, but what DC Talk, what DC Talk realized about love, I've realized recently about fashion. DC Talk realized that love is what? That love is a Verb. Okay, say that again like we actually believe it. Love is a? Okay, and that fashion, fashion has two tenses, right? Fashion can be a noun, and fashion can also be a verb. So fashion in the noun sense, of course, that's what we find at Target, right? Fashion in the noun sense is what we find on catwalks and in Vogue magazine, and to me, it's the form of the word that uh, mid-90s Christian fashion found so negotiable. On the other side, however, DC Talk's realization that love is a verb could also be said, the same thing could truly be said about fashion. Fashion in the verb sense, in the molding and making and creating sense, like a potter who fashions clay or a designer who fashions a dress or a web designer who fashions a website. It's the sense of the word that we find for God, who fashions humanity from dust, fashion the verb sense, that is, who fashions clothes for our provision and food from the heavens and water from the rocks to be fashionable, which I might argue DC Talk is not, okay? To be fashionable, which I certainly wasn't in 1997 when I thought Jinko jeans was the thing. Okay? <laughs> to, be fa- to be fashionable is one aspect of the word 
fashioned, but to be fashioned into something, to be shaped and formed into something particular. Well, that yet is another aspect. So what I want to look at this morning with you, and if you weren't here last week, we started a six-week series on clothes called uh, Clothes of White, which we're going to be looking at all the different metaphors of clothes in the next six weeks. And so today what I want to talk about, I want to ask you this question. Does fashion fashion? In other words, do the clothes we put on shape our identity? Does our fashion fashion us? The noun and the verb used together. Do our clothes fashion a sense of who we are? A popular word in the Bible of clothing oneself is the word put on. It's used well over 40 times. It might be something like 60 times. To put on, like, uh, like Jean, thankfully, put on a shirt this morning. That's the word used in Scripture for wearing clothing, to put on. This was commonly used, this was very common in biblical times as a phrase that often referred to like ethical or behavioral metaphors. It was common for the people to be directed to put on good behavior or to put on certain virtues. Now, what was uncommon in that time, actually very uncommon in that time, was the way that Paul used the phrase put on. I want to direct your attention to the screen here where I have the scripture for this morning, Galatians 2, 27, and see if you can find the peculiar way that Paul uses the word put on, okay? And all who have been united with Christ, Paul writes, have been united in baptism and have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. What's so peculiar? We've heard that, phrase, that verse so many times that I'm seeing this morning, it doesn't really move the needle for you. So why would have it moved the needle for all the people back then? Well, I can tell you. I can tell you're full of answers this morning, so I'll just cut you off. Nowhere else... Nowhere else in contemporary literature to the Bible is the idiom put on, used for a person. Used for a person. Okay? Now, you would freak out. You would take a break from your cell phones this morning if I told you that you need to put me on. Like you put on a shirt in the morning. Right? So Paul says, put on on the person of Christ. He instructs his congregations to put on Christ because God's best plan for renewal and restoration is to close humanity with God's own self. To be fashioned into the image of Christ is to be formed into his very character. It's more than to physically look like Christ, though that's a part. And it's certainly more than switching labels from pagan to Christian. To be fashioned into Christ is to put on his character like you put on a shirt in the morning. So something like this. Putting on mercy, forgiveness, patience, grace, service, love, all of that before cereal for breakfast. All before heading out the front door to face work for the day. 
Listen to Lauren Winter. The quote's up there. Lauren Winter writes a book called Wearing God that I absolutely love. This is what she writes. If to change clothes can be to change oneself, if to change clothes is to change one's way of being in the world, if to clothe yourself in a particular kind of garment is to let that garment shape you into its own shape, then what is it to put on Christ? So this morning, perhaps we just sit with that for a minute. What does it look like to put on the person of Christ, right? You know, I want to say something and immediately regret I ever said it. You ever hear your teachers say how hard they work to come to, come to school prepared and then be disrespected? Do you ever feel that, Sherry? And to be disrespected by that? Okay. All right. I want to tell you this morning, I spent lots of time in prayer to God of fashioning these words, the verb form. <laughs> and I hope that it's something true can be said about God. But if you do not want to listen this morning, I ask you just to go ahead and leave. But if you're here, be here. Be with me. Because it's horribly distracting to me when there's 25 people in the crowd and you are not paying attention nor have any interest of paying attention, okay? Most of you, that's true, but this morning I can't go on without just saying it. I need, I need your attention. I need your help, okay? So I do want to say something honestly about what I feel is in the hearts of humanity. That putting on Christ and that donning the clothes of Christ can sound a bit daunting, and a tad unrealistic, right? If we're being honest with one another, doesn't it sound a bit idealistic to think that we can wear the likeness of Christ, the clothes of holiness, when we are so prone to go our own way to clothe ourselves with our own clothes? What does it actually mean to wear Christ? And honestly, why would anyone do that? Does it not sound whitewashed to you? A little boring? A little square? A little unexciting? Anybody excited this morning to wear the clothes of Christ? Exactly what I mean. It's a little unexciting, isn't it? A little square. Yeah. I struggle to admit this. But since I'm bringing it up, sometimes the least exciting idea for me is to put on Christ. Perhaps something I should work on right now. Sometimes meeting with God seems so formal that it's not personal. It feels like that I'm conforming as if I'm surrendering my freedom or personality for the ideas of another. There are many times I get the idea that putting on Christ is hard work. It's internal work. It's thinking perfectly. It's akin to cracking a code. But do you ever feel like that? I begin to think that putting on Christ is burdensome and demanding, where there's no freedom to speak and there's only pressure to perform. Well, this week, I learned a lesson about, I think God taught me a lesson about putting on Christ. So on Tuesday, when I sat down to write this sermon, I was inspired to get up. I was inspired to get up right from where I was and meet with God in various forms. 
One was in the play of my children, and the second was to walk around the plaza eating ice cream from Cold Stone Creamery. Yeah, okay. Anybody ever been to Cold Stone Creamery? Yeah, 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 yeah. Take out a mortgage on your house to afford it. My goodness, it's so expensive. Ten bucks. It cost me ten dollars for one comb for myself. Ten bucks. It was so good. I don't know who said that. Yes, dang it, man, it was amazing. As strange, as strange as it may sound, meeting God in play in ice cream taught me a profound lesson. And God inviting me to wear the same clothes the Father dons to meet me. So I'd invite your imagination this morning to think about that, okay? To think about what clothes does God wear? What clothes do what clothes does God wear when he shows up to meet with you? Think about that. What's God wearing when he sits down beside you? Oh, I, I, I don't even care if you're not a visual thinker. I'm going to force you to do it this morning. <laughs> i got to force myself to think intellectually in the week. <laughs> Everybody can do it. It's okay. It might not come natural, but you can do it. Draw a picture. Draw a picture. It might help you to draw a picture on a paper, or you could draw a picture in your mind. Draw a picture. What clothes is God wearing? He's meeting with you right now. What clothes is he wearing? might tell us something about what we believe about God if we just went around the room and asked each other, what's your God wearing? We all know what John C. Riley's God is wearing. It's a, oh, you don't know? Oh, it's a tuxedo t-shirt. Because <laughs> it's formal in the front and party in the back. <laughs> Anybody? Talladega Nights? Anybody? Thank you. Goodness gracious. Man, do you all live? Okay. <laughs> Talladega Nights, uh, don't watch that. Okay. Um, <laughs> so early, I know, Jake. Early Tuesday morning, I could hear giggling and laughter from the burst of footsteps above me. Just then, the Spirit of God nudged me. He nudged me to go play with the small footsteps upstairs. And in my mind's eye, I could see what remains of Ben's baby face. Robust cheeks and half-moon shape, sweet lips, big blue eyes matched with his full-throttle personality. I heard God tell me to, to get up and go play, and I heard myself say back, I can't. <laughs> I can't go play right now. I need to find something so true to say about you. And the nudge came right back at me. Jake, playing with your son is as true thing as you're going to learn about me today. So going against my better judgment, and it did go against my better judgment. You know, I, I, I owe you to work hard, right? So it went against my better judgment, but I got up. I went upstairs, and I got on all fours as the kids threw themselves over me and grabbed my shirt collar like reins on a sleigh ride and yelled, Horsey ride! <laughs> they laughed. I picked them up. I held them close to my face, and I felt their bodies and their beating hearts, and I kissed their cheeks, and my heart grew Two sizes, the size it was, and we wrestled. We wrestled in each other's company with cackling horsey rides and falling completely in love. So the horsey rides cost me an hour of sermon study. But I felt more in love 
in that one hour and learn more about God than stubbornness to my own agenda was ever going to teach me. Later that day, I said, oh, there's a picture of an ice cream cone there, Carson. See if you can find it. Oh, there it is. Great. Yeah, there it is. Oh, that's exactly what I ate. Yeah. Later that day, I went to the plaza and the same thing happened. I found an open table and got my computer out. I wrapped my earbuds around my ears and readied myself to write something good about God for God. <laughs> He's going to love this one. All right. I'm going to write you something good. So I positioned myself uh, before the apex of Florida ceiling windows to overlook the Country Club Plaza. Anybody been to Central Library in the plaza? You know those windows that I'm talking about that meet in the center of Florida ceiling about 10 to 12 feet high and you just see all of the plaza in front of you? Oh, man, it's impossible not to be distracted, right? And so I was sitting here writing something good. God was going to be so proud of me. I was writing the best sermon of all time. I'm sitting there writing. It's the one you're hearing right now. And I'm sitting here and I'm writing it. And I could not focus. Man, I couldn't focus. I kept looking outside. And the same spirit that was with me in the morning with horsey rides and Ben and cackling and laughter, the same spirit nudged me and said, get up and go walk in what you see. Oh, come on, God. Taking a walk is not going to meet this deadline that comes every Sunday every seven days. So I dismissed taking a walk until the nudge was so strong in me that I was going to be no more productive sitting there at the library with my earbuds in than taking a walk. So again, I pushed away. I pushed away from the table and I headed outside for ice cream and a walk. Purchase of spontaneity was pricey. But it set me free. <laughs> For a cool $100, it set me free. That's what it felt like. So I got this double scoop ice cream cone, the same thing right there. You know what the ingredients is right there? This is how it was sold to me. The same, yeah, sugar. <laughs> it was sold to me as the same filling that they use to fill Reese's cups. They've turned into a sauce. Oh, man. Woo! I was, I was happier than, mm, I don't know. Finish that phrase. That's how happy I was. Okay. I was so happy. You should come do sermon prep with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When the Spirit of God in it, just sermon prep can be very uh, fatty. Um, midday, midday life came to full bloom on the Country Club Plaza. Sunlight. Sunlight fell upon everything, including my ice cream cone. Melted it in my hand. <laughs> it fell upon the buildings and the people, the streets, and my skin. Recently, I went to a doctor, um, and the doctor diagnosed me with, uh, where am I at here, low vitamin D. Low vitamin D. I don't know if that's something that you suffer with. It's something that I suffer with. So maybe, Chelsea, that's the reason why I was driven outside to spend the afternoon in the sun, because it felt so good on my skin, or... Perhaps it's just the way God created the world to be. Wearing the clothes that God wears. Outside with others, with sun and air and breeze. With the belly full, with the belly set free. So if putting on God is anything like horsey rides and ice creams, then I was made to wear God. Hmm. Ezekiel. He's a prophet, God's chosen prophet in the Bible. His book comes right after Jeremiah. He's asked to speak up and give a word about God, to share truth about what God is like, to tell people the clothes that God wears. Ezekiel 
words were to remind the people that God had not forgotten his promise and his plan for fulfillment was to have a heart transplant. That's right. You heard me right. His plans for God's fulfillment was to have a heart transplant. Carson, the next slide there, please. I will give them one heart, Ezekiel writes, and put a new spirit within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh. And I'm wondering this morning if you could hear that personally. If I could just say that to you personally, I will give you one heart. And I will put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you my heart. Instead of a reckless and disobedient heart, a stony heart, God would provide them with a new heart, a new spirit, one imparted from the heavens they could wear like clothes. This new heart would be mercy, like God is mercy. And this new heart would be a heart of grace, like God's heart is grace. And this new heart would be a heart of patience, like God is patient. And a heart of love, because God is love. God's promise is to change the heart of humanity so that we can wear the divine attributes he intends for us. We know this transplant, right, to take its full form in the likeness of Christ, in the person of Christ whom God gave his only son, so that in Jesus' march to the cross, he would wear the shame of humanity to its death. Crucifying it to the cross, raising again to new life, wearing a new set of clothes, the righteousness of God's victory over sin and death. These new clothes, the clothes that Christ gives to us are clothes of purity, clothes of new creation, Clothes of resurrection and clothes of mercy and grace. They're clothes as white and as pure as the driven snow. God is replacing stony hearts and old clothes with new ones called Christ. I don't know if this morning is a morning that you would want to confess or want to admit or want to examine inside and to see if you have a stony heart or not. I can probably tell you right now that I've got a little bit of one going. So, you can join me if you want, or I can just be up here alone. It doesn't matter. But I want to tell you this morning, whether you're a little backward this morning like myself, that God is replacing this stony heart. I need the Lord to replace the biasness and expectations that I set. I need God to change this heart that can get so angry so quick. Anybody else with me at all? The promise is that even for a cantankerous pastor, that God has new clothes for this old stony heart. It's the promise of Scripture. God is fashioning our hearts in the verb sense molding and sculpting our hearts and lives to look like the victory and reign of Christ. So to put on Christ is to clothe ourselves with the image of God and to be fashioned into his likeness. 
Sometimes I think we're just too daggum hard on ourselves. Seriously. Sometimes I think we're too hard on ourselves when we talk about being formed into the image of God. We allow deception. If you remember last week, we had a little discussion on deception. Okay. Spiritual warfare is real. The devil is real. Right? And uh, I think we can see that as clearly okay, when we're faced with deception. That might not take the form of spiritual warfare you thought I was referring to. Um, but I believe spiritual warfare is certainly real. When one kills themselves because they feel that no one loves them, that's spiritual warfare at work. That's a lie. That's deception. See what I mean? Spiritual warfare can take all sorts of scientific uh, expressions and embodiment. It doesn't have to be a pitchfork-wielding, two-horned devil living in hell poking at you. I don't know if I believe in that either. But I certainly believe in deception. And I think that deception is alive all the time in us. When we talk about being formed into the image of God, but yet feel it impossible to ever accomplish all that God promised and that Christ did. I believe we experience spiritual warfare and deception when we be, are made to feel that God is too formal and that God, is too that God is too formal to be personal. That God is too formal to be approachable. So just now, right now, can you approach God right now, right where you're sitting? Can you talk to God as you talk to your mom or dad? Can you talk to God as you talk to your spouse or you talk to your best friend? If something in you is telling you that you can't, that is spiritual warfare. That is not true. That is false. That is a lie. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. You just heard Scripture proclaimed to you this morning, so if this morning it's you that thinks that, man, I don't know. I've done too much. I've been too far. I've dated the wrong person. I've kissed the wrong gender or whatever it is that you have heard keeps you from the love of God. Whatever lie that you've heard that keeps you from the love of God, that is not true. It doesn't have to be a little devil to be spiritual warfare that is attacking us to think and to begin to believe in lies that are not true of you. And this morning I want you to know what's true. Putting on clothes of Christ is not a shopping list. So, Cindy, I'm going to take some pressure off you this morning. You don't have to go run to Sears and go find patience. Okay? Sears is closed. That's why. That's why. Okay? You can get to God on Tuesday. Okay? No. Putting on clothes of Christ is not something that we go buy, purchase, and put on. Mm-hmm. You can't just come, Kevin, to New Beginnings on Sunday morning and hear a broken message and suddenly be filled with Christ because you came to New Beginnings. My dad used to say, you coming to church makes you a Christian no more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. <laughs> so putting on Christ, you can't go buy it. 
Gene, I'm sorry, you can't go do it. If anyone could do it, you could do it. But you can't, I'm sorry. Putting on clothes of Christ is something that we receive. And in our doing and buying culture, this is a very hard message. That's why I'm spending so much time on this. Because we will hear the words receive and be like, yeah, I learned that word in second grade. But no, I'm actually talking about some action here. Okay? Talking about an action. You want to know what to do from this sermon? Yeah, go and receive. That's your action. Pastor, you never call us to anything. Yeah, I am. I'm calling you to go receive right now. Receive. You can't put on Christ. You can receive the clothes of Christ. So let me move on. Receiving the clothes of Christ is a transformation of our old and rugged rags through God's personal formation. God's hands on you as the clay, him as the potter, doing what? Fashioning you with divine tenderness and attention to you. The clothes of Christ are not suffocating. So if this morning you're getting images of, man, I don't want to wear Christ, that sounds boring. I'd rather say the F word. I don't want to have to talk like a Christian. Well, I don't know what your idea of a Christian is. But it's not as square as you might imagine. The clothes of Christ are not suffocating. <laughs> Thank you. And if you're offended that I just said that bit, it's because I was talking to teenagers, okay? I wasn't talking to you. His clothes are freedom and joy and good news to the poor. Faith becomes solid when we assume to put on Christ is to dress ourselves with rigid, fundamentalistic, small-minded legalism that deceives us to think that the clothes of Christ are against people as opposed to the clothes of Christ being for people. Clothes of Christ are for you. I don't know what... Simply, it's not Jesus, okay? If you're getting some image, I think you got it. So why would anyone put on a person who's so restricting, so tight, and so formal? What if putting on Christ wasn't so impeding? Scripture says that Jesus' burden is light and that his yoke is easy. I know I've had to pause in my life and ask myself if that's something I actually believe. Is that something that you actually believe, that to put on Christ is to put on an easy way of living? I don't believe you do believe that. <laughs> I think we're deceived to think that being like Christ is hard. No. I think being like Christ is the most natural thing we can be, and we live in a deceived world that makes sin feel natural and easy, and so then to act like Christ feels very hard. We can talk later over coffee if you don't, don't agree with that one. So what does an easy yoke then and a light burden look like for a Christian faith in a culture today? Well, you know, to me, it looks like horsey rides on Tuesday morning. Spontaneous ice cream cones on the plaza on Tuesday afternoon. I think it might look like a 
completely random date night on a Wednesday night, family prayer around the dinner table. I believe to put on Christ is to dress ourselves with the everyday joy in which God comes to us. If I'm struggling this morning, I'm struggling because, and it could probably just be me, but you tell me if you feel joy in this room. You probably do. It's probably just me. But I promise you that's not Christ. Christ is not boring like this. I just want you to experience it with me, that's all. Jesus' burden is light because he swallows up all the ragged clothes of sin, self-destruction, and shame. And he does this. This is not commands for you to go out and do something with your shame. No, Jesus does this. Jesus offers his life to you and exchanges our old clothes with new ones. Jesus does this precisely because he loves you. We don't have to walk around in those old clothes anymore. God desires to be with us as close and as personal as the clothes that we wear. God delights in us. God delights in you. God pulls up beside you and he wants to play with you. He wants to giggle and cackle and walk with you. Putting on Christ is not putting on struggle. It's not putting on perfectionism, putting on doing church right or whatever. Putting on Christ is to dress ourselves with love and joy that God has for each one of us. It's for ourselves to see ourselves the way that God sees us. I believe that God sees you as irreplaceable diamonds in the kingdom of God. You are his children And you are worth his time because he said so. God is for you. God is for you. And you must trust that. And that will go against every lie and deception of this world that is fed to you. That God is for you. We must release our lives to him and turn toward the life he desires to receive the life that he wants for us. What I'm talking about there is the action of releasing, repenting, and rejoicing. We have to release all of our ideas. And I know you have all the right ones, but you need to release those. You've got to release them. I know you learned them in seminary, but you have to surrender that too. You've got to release it. I know you learned it back when the church was right in the 1950s, okay? (laughs) When there was nothing wrong in the world. You have to release that too. That's sarcasm. I don't believe that. You have to release it. To repent, which is to turn towards God and let God reveal God's self. Not take God to God and say, God, is this you? (laughs) Let God reveal himself to you. I believe that putting on Christ is easy, that it's light, and that it is indeed life. So I want to leave with a few paragraphs. Caleb and Jerry can come. Just some ideas. What does it look like practically to put on Christ in your world today? Perhaps to put on Christ uh, this week 
is to push away, just like I had to learn to do. Push away from your desk a bit more. Turn away from the lie of productivity. wonder what that would look like in your work, Jeff. To just say, you know what? I don't, I don't have to do that task at this moment. To push away. To be a little less productive. And receive the clothes of joy in forming a new friend. wonder what it would look like this week to clothe yourselves with a form of a relationship. So this week I want to challenge you. Okay, Jeff, I'm challenging you personally. I can see you're looking at me, so you'll never look at me again. Okay? <laughs> Jeff, I want you to take a 15-minute break this week. Okay? You've got 15 minutes. There's very few people in that company that can tell you what to do. Okay? <laughs> so you, you, you're the boss of you in that company. All right. So this week, take a 15-minute break from work and get to know someone near you. I want to invite you. I want to invite you this week to push away from your desk or push away from the responsibilities that, you know, that can't, that, that can't wait. I've got to get to them. But what if they can wait? <laughs> what if they can wait 15 minutes for you to go to the water cooler with one of your friends, someone that you don't know? What it would it look like to push away from your work and give somebody a call from this church that you don't know? Okay. And to clothe yourself with the joy that God wears in the form of a new friend. Perhaps to put on Christ this week is to get eye level with your child. Now make sure it's your child, otherwise this will be really awkward and I'll get sued for telling you to do this. Perhaps you need to get eye level with your child this week. Sit with them for 15 minutes. Now here's the challenge, okay? Sit with them for 15 minutes and don't dictate the pace of play. Good luck, Dennis, with teenage boys. Sit with them this week. You hear me, Dana? This is your challenge. Sit with Izzy this week for 15 minutes and don't dictate the pace of play. Let them play in your presence and interact with you the same way that God sits in your presence and lets you interact with Him. This week, dress yourselves with Christ in the way you enjoy His creation, the way you enjoy one another, the way you laugh and play and sing and rejoice. This week, I encourage you to put on Christ by turning toward Jesus in times of personal worship, prayer, and praise. And receive his relationship. Receive it. His grace waiting to clothe you from head to toe. So Christ wore us to the cross so that we could wear him with freedom and excitement and ease. So friends, let us put on Christ. He is easy, and He is light, and He is for you, and Christ loves you. And if you're hearing anything else this morning that you're less than, it's not of God, okay? So let us gather around the Eucharist table, and let us enjoy the presence of God. We've got a testimony here, so why don't we just slow down here so we can hear Deb, give us a word.